Welcome to Cookbook Club. We are home cooks from Portland, Oregon. Every month we choose a cookbook, make lots of recipes from it, and then get together to share some of the dishes we made. We talk about what worked, what didn't, and decide whether this is a cookbook we can't live without. I'm Sarah Gray. And I'm Renee Wilkinson. And joining us from our cookbook club is Kristen Collins. Hi. We're so happy you're here. Happy to be here. This week we're talking about Family by Hetty McKinnon. Hetty McKinnon is an Australian cookbook author and recipe developer with a Chinese heritage that has informed a lot of her cooking. McKinnon has written five cookbooks, and this cookbook is her latest. It was published in 2018. It's a collection of vegetarian recipes woven together with stories of families eating together and forming traditions. Our cookbook club really enjoyed cooking from this book together, and we're excited to share how some of those recipes worked out for us. What first caught my eye when I picked up this book from the library is how the book is organized. It's organized into different sections, including salads, soupy salads, pasta night, great bakes, Asian roots, the good egg, and a section on sweets. And when I first opened that up, I was like so confused, but also intrigued about like, what does soupy salads mean? And what does great bakes mean? Because that's actually not a dessert section. That's just like casserole type things like anything that you'd put together and put in the oven i definitely have not seen other books organized in this way it's like really a unique organization of the book it's almost like technique based or like style of like what you would cook it in based rather than the flavors or what type of meal you would have it for i I really like that aspect of it it's also a beautiful book like the photographs are great It feels really good in your hand. And I also really appreciate that almost, if not all of the recipes fit on one page. And so that just makes it seem more accessible. And then also it's just more practical. It's also these sections sort of interspersed throughout where it's like a guest into the cookbook where they brought a family recipe that means something to their family with the story, which is really cool. Yeah. So it's not Hitty McKinnon. It's like she features different people. Are they friends? Like, I'm actually a little bit confused about how that works. And I'm not sure that I love the aspect of the book. But her whole overarching concept is like, this is all about family meals and taking the foods that we grew up with that are traditional and putting kind of a new spin on them. So they work for our modern families, which is cool. So I think that's why she's featuring these different people to kind of round out the voices of families. But I didn't feel like that added a whole lot to me. I mean, the recipes were interesting. And I guess I'm glad that she's like kind of crediting the backstory of those recipes with the families that, you know, created those recipes and used those recipes. But I'm more interested, I guess, in her and her family recipes and her heritage Mm -hmm. and um, how she makes that work. Like the beginning of the book, she talks about what kind of the concept of the book is and what does it mean to be family meals and why are those important? And that resonated a lot with me. So I enjoyed that part of the book. I mean, the photography is gorgeous in the book, and it feels very warm and inviting and fun to flip through. Mm-hmm, but how sure. how is it to cook from <laughs> is the question. <laughs> I've cooked quite a bit from it. And on the whole, I think I've really liked the recipes. Sometimes what? I feel like they're not the very tip top, like best recipe I've ever tried for whatever reason, but like they're unique enough that I'd keep going back to it. What are some of the recipes from this book, Sarah, that are on your heavy rotation? Okay, so I think one of the standouts um, for my family is the salt oil rice with coconut stewed spinach and tofu. Um, So you make this rice, which just, it's literally what it says. It has like salt and oil in it. You cook it with the salt and oil in it. So it's like really salty and delicious and like... Are you like toasting it in the oil then before you add liquid? No, you don't. You just add sea salt and olive oil to the cooking water. And oh, it's really okay. good. I yeah. see. 
when you cook the rice. And then you make this sort of like braised coconut stewed and then you serve it over the rice and it's kind of like soupy and just really delicious. It's got that like creamy coconut thing. You've got the spinach. You've got the tofu. It's really yummy. Do you make that whole recipe, including the coconut stewed spinach and tofu, or have you just started just making the salt oil rice? No, I think the whole thing is kind of the magic of it. It all together. Um, and it's like a complete meal. It's really, really tasty. I haven't made that recipe yet, but I think that recipe is a good example of what speaks to me about this book because it looks so comforting. It's super comforting. Like the perfect thing to have when you're sick or at any time of year, really, when it's cold out or you just need to nourish yourself. Yeah. But it's so different than the comfort food I grew up with that doesn't necessarily feel like healthful, you know, and, right. and nutritious. But this looks like a something that would feel really nutritious without necessarily being like low calorie and blah, 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 because it has coconut milk and other kind of rich ingredients it looks like in it. That's one of my favorite ones from this book. It is also really interesting in that like a lot of the recipes are like pretty healthy just in terms of like the amount of vegetables and, you know, there's not a whole lot of sugar and, and stuff like that. But it's not, she doesn't really talk about that in the book. So I right. really appreciate that it's like, oh, yeah, this is like feels like really good, comforting, like very nourishing food um, without that being the thrust of yeah. our narrative. Right. It's and not- as a vegetarian cookbook, it is very vegetable forward. She did talk a bit about that in the introduction about like family cooking, which I was kind of chuckling a little bit to myself about because she was like, you know, if you grow, if your kids just grow up eating like lots of vegetables and it's not like, a protein and then three sides of vegetables. It's like the vegetables are folded into everything that you're making. Then your kids will like grow up and always embrace that. And I was kind of thinking like, yeah, it hasn't really quite worked like that for my family. And Uh we do cook a lot of vegetables, but I'm glad that that works for her family. And maybe there are other (laughs) families out there where their kids don't mind as much when things are all mixed together like that. There are pictures of her children in this book, and I think they're older than our children. Mm -hmm. So the way I'm reading that is that they came around to it. Yeah. And it all was well that ended well. Like most most preschoolers don't want like all the things things touching, which is why at like preschools, they have those little plates with like the three different compartments. Nothing mixes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was literally shopping for plates like that last night. (laughs) Yep. That's where we are. Just last night for dinner, I made the my great aunt's chana masala, which is one of those sort of guest recipes in the book and one of the only, I think, sort of Indian recipes in the book. And it was really delicious and very easy to make. She had you cook canned chickpeas. So like they were already cooked and then you steeped them basically for like 15 minutes in some tea and spices. Oh, interesting. But I only had dried chickpeas, and so I just cooked them in the tea and spices, and they were so good. Really? When I pulled them out, I, like, she has you save some of the cooking liquid, which is, like, dark gray. Like, I mean, it has tea in it. Like, what kind of tea? Are we talking about, like, black tea? Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So I, like, saved the cooking liquid and then drained the ones that I needed to put in, Mm -hmm. and then I was, like, reaching in and, like, eating them by the handful because they were so good. What kind of spices? I mean, Indian spices. Cinnamon stick, uh-huh. cardamom pods, black tea. It was like pretty simple, but they were so good. I just like threw a little salt on them and then I was like, I can't stop eating these. Wait, so do you use the liquid elsewhere in the recipe? In a skillet, you cook down red onion and you added some tomato paste. She had you use that bean cooking liquid to just keep it saucy mm-hmm. as it was cooking. 
And I thought it worked really well and it added nice flavor. And after I was done with it, I like tasted some of it. Like it tasted kind of like cinnamony tea, basically. That sounds delicious. It was really good. And then she says, you know, you can serve it with rice or flatbread. And again, like a pretty complete meal. That's cool. I've been cooking more vegetarian because my seven-year-old has not like declared himself a vegetarian, but every night now he says, mom, is this a vegetarian meal? And if I say yes, he goes, yes. (laughs) So I think he's sort of leaning that way. What's cool about this book, I wouldn't pick up this book or buy it because it's vegetarian. I think this is a book that really just appeals to anybody who's interested in vegetable forward cooking from a different perspective. And it's just an interesting like mashup of Australian influence with Cantonese roots. The recipes are just really creative and different than what I would cook on my own, which I appreciate. So Kirsten, I know one of the meals on your heavy rotation is a meal that doesn't necessarily mash all of the parts up together and it's the deconstructed falafel. So this is a recipe that I really love. I don't think anyone else in my family is thrilled about it, but (laughs) I really like, I just really like all the flavors. It's kale based and I love to buy a bag of pre-washed kale. That's like definitely always in my fridge. And so I'm always looking for different ways to cook kale. And so it's kale and then chickpeas, which I'll talk about in a second. And then like a tahini dressing And then she advises you to just buy pita chips and throw them in as croutons. Oh, that's a good idea. So So smart. For my family, I can make the salad, but also easily further deconstruct it so that if the kids are just eating pita chips and hummus and maybe a few pieces of kale, then I can eat the whole thing and it's really good. And then the chickpeas, you know, the most recent time... um, I made it. I reread the recipe and I was like, oh, I think I've been not following her directions on the chickpeas. And she even calls out that like, oh, you should be cooking all beans this way. I haven't done it this way yet, but her method that she recommends is put them in like a a shallow glass pan, all, you know, nestled together. And then you cover them in olive oil, like submerge them in olive oil. Wait, they're dry and you submerge them in olive oil? No, they're canned. Okay, they're they're canned. canned. Got it. Submerge them in olive oil and then stick them in the oven. And they get crispy that way. Isn't that confit, technically, to like bury Mm. it in olive oil? Maybe. I think that's technically a confit if it cooks like basically underwater in oil. That's so much olive oil too, right? I mean. That's so much olive oil, but you also then use it as for the dressing on the salad. Oh, okay. To drain it off after. And it's like spiced. It's flavored. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try that next, next time. So this recipe is actually republished in the New York Times, but it's recipe from Hetty McKinnon adapted by Julia Moskin. Julia Moskin kind of describes it in a way that's like just a little more intuitive for me. And she even calls out like, this feels like a lot of olive oil, but don't (laughs) worry, you're going to use it in the dressing. So yeah, and then it just has cucumber slices and lemon, fresh mint and parsley. The tahini sauce is tahini, lemon, garlic, water, like very basic, Um, and then just sort of spiced Spice chip, chickpeas. It's just very good and, yeah, easy to, like, further deconstruct um, for people who don't like food all mixed together. I like that idea. Yeah. The tofu larb, which Melissa Chan made at our Cookbook Club event, is sort of, like, in pieces. So it's the tofu larb. There's a quick pickled onion. There's, like, a lettuce cup, and you can mm-hmm. sort of assemble it. Mm-hmm. But the tofu larb itself is sort of mixed together. Mm-hmm. And how was that? How did you guys like that? I think that? it was pretty good. It seemed like the general feeling was that it was slightly bland. Yeah, it was maybe a little bit bland. So maybe, like, the next time punching up the flavor and adding more salt, maybe. And- yeah doing things a little bit yeah. differently. Another recipe that I I really enjoyed from this book is the chickpea kale and feta stew with za'atar baked eggs. Mm-hmm. 
It's almost like a shakshuka. Oh, yeah. Because you make a stew and then you like you crack the eggs in and, mm-hmm. and bake them on top. And I thought it was really flavorful and really good. And she has you like sprinkle some za'atar spice on top of the eggs as they're cooking. So they had a really nice flavor. And it's like a one pan meal. Mm-hmm. It wasn't hard to make. Shakshuka doesn't normally have chickpeas in it, right? So that's kind right. of what beefs it up enough to right. make it a one pot And meal. this has kale in it, too. She does have a lot of egg recipes in here, which I am always looking for more egg recipes since There's I have a whole egg chickens. Section. I'm not that taken with them, I guess, because yeah. some of them seem kind of complicated and fussy. Mm. I know you made the golden egg curry and that's in the egg section, right? Yeah, I made the golden egg curry. I made it for cookbook club because if something is overly complicated or it seems like it might be a lot of work, it's like maybe we won't try this on our families. Maybe we'll just try this on cookbook club. Like, yeah, it's we the place sometimes to will do it. say like, I would only do all these steps for you guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the golden egg curry, yeah. So you hard boil the eggs and then you basically pan fry them with like uh, oil that has turmeric in it. So it cook it like fries them on the outside and it makes them super yellow because of the turmeric Mm -hmm. and they're really pretty my experience was that my eggs didn't look that pretty like i wasn't able i mean hello an egg is round like how do you evenly pan fry it yeah great you know it's easier to i'm also like on record as being not a great pan fryer like my oil is always like a little too hot or a little too cold and it's like not a strength of mine but they weren't that pretty but they did taste good And the curry mixture was yummy, I thought. Again, not a thing my kids would eat. Here's something my kids will eat out of this cookbook, though, that they really, really like is the za'atar, zucchini, and marscapone slab galette. I made this for cookbook club. It's really good. It's like it makes a galette that's the size of a baking sheet. Wow. So it's really big. It's like a pretty simple like galette crust. You like, you know, roll it out in your pan and then you put you just like slather it with mascarpone. You cut zucchini really, really thin. Like you can do it on a mandolin, but I don't think I did because I'm scared of my mandolin. And like you line them up in a really pretty pattern. Then you like sprinkle some, I think, feta on top and like za'atar. It's just like a really nice flavor combination. And then just cut it up. My kids were like, it's pizza. They totally thought it was pizza. I did not correct them. It was delicious. (laughs) When would you make that? Summer, right? When yeah. zucchini's in season. Yeah. But would you make that on like a weeknight or a weekend or when you're having company over? Because it sounds really I feel like visually... it's more of a company thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's it's simple, but it's not like a super quick weeknight meal. But like if zucchini's in season, do you really want to be like turning your oven on? I know. That's <laughs> Yeah. I always it's get tripped true. up by that. Yeah. 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 It's true. I think she says in there too that you can also make it with like other veggies yeah. if the mm-hmm. zucchini isn't in season. That's one part of her cookbook that I have really enjoyed the rest in most recipes. She has a whole section under the ingredients list of substitutes. Yeah. Which really speaks to me um, where she's like, if you don't have iceberg lettuce for this, try using romaine lettuce or cabbage. Or if you don't have hoisin sauce, you can use vegetarian oyster sauce or soy sauce or whatever. I love that flexibility. And I've been cooking from this at different times throughout the pandemic when it's been difficult to get groceries. And so I've had to make a lot of substitutions on almost every recipe that I've made from this book. And it has turned out fine. I mean, I think most recipe developers know that you can make subs, but not every home cook realizes that you can make subs. And so it's nice to have a little direction there. Why don't we take a quick break? And then when we come back, I want to talk about some of the more weeknight-oriented meals I've made. And we haven't even talked about dessert yet, which is important. Dropcloth Samplers is a line of hand-drawn embroidery samplers printed and ready for you to jump in and start stitching right away. 
Each pattern is hand-drawn by Rebecca Ringquist in her Portland, Oregon studio and printed for you to embroider with your own color and thread choices, like coloring book pages, but for embroidery. You can find Dropcloth samplers on Etsy or on Instagram at Dropcloth. Okay, I want to know, what is a soupy salad? (laughs) I still don't know why the word salad is in there. I mean, is it a salad because it has like a lot of vegetables in it? That's kind of how I read it. It's like, it's, you know, most, most of the time they're cooked. Yeah. But, but, you know, there's enough in there that it's like salad-esque. Yeah. But it's soup. I mean, I'm not, I'll just go on the record as saying that I'm not a big salad person. But what I mean by that is I'm not a big like green lettuce salad person. I just find it kind of boring. So her salads are really not any of those. Like they're, they're just sort of cold piles of vegetables and sometimes with grains in them. And I normally don't put that even in the salad category. So I found at this point with the book, it's better for me just to like flip through and look at individual recipes and mark things I'm interested in cooking in rather than trying to like follow her format. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? The recipes that I'm the most interested in cooking from this book, and I think that just speaks to my where I'm at right now in terms of energy, are the more easy weeknight friendly meals and less the cooking projects. One recipe that I've tried from this is the miso brown butter and crispy sage pasta. Sounds really good. Yeah, it definitely sounds delicious. I love all those things. Seems like all those things should be amazing together. But when I made the recipe, it was definitely very easy to put together on a weeknight and everybody at my table ate it. But then I went around the table and asked like each kid and uh, my partner, like, what did you guys think? We're going to talk about this on the podcast and I want to tell them what you guys thought. And everybody kind of gave it like a thumbs in the middle because it just didn't have that strong of a flavor. And it calls for two tablespoons of miso, which to me is like pretty significant amount of miso. It calls for like a lot of sage, fresh sage. You fry them in butter. Okay. It was a little bit like finicky with the steps, which wasn't that big of a deal because you can do it while your pasta is cooking. But it's like first you saute the shallots and then you set them aside. Then you uh, fry the sage and then you set that aside. And like for a weeknight, I'm like, okay, this is starting to be a lot <laughs> of get like moving. things. Yeah, yeah. You have to separate out. Any recipe that's like, and then set it aside, I'm like. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of a deal breaker for me <laughs> yeah. on most weeknights. I'm out. But I expected that butter mixture to be really flavorful at the end because it had had the shallots mm. in it and then it had the sage in it. And then you mix the miso in and then you put the pasta in and you add some like cooking water and it makes it kind of like a little sauce. And you top it with the sage um, and you throw the shallots back in there. So I don't know if it just needs to be like five times as much shallots and right. sage, but I was using pretty good in quality ingredients or maybe it I was using white miso and the recipe just says miso so maybe I should have been using red miso but that recipe just kind of fell a little bit flat for us so I don't think I'll be making it again also full disclosure it was coming on the heels of me making the umami garlic noodles from Vietnamese any day by Andrea Wen and that recipe really hard to beat the umami in that yes it is like even easier of a recipe and just packed with so much flavor so I don't know that that miso brown butter will make it on the regular rotation for us but it's a good concept are there other um sort of weeknight ones that have spoken to you on this one 
I have it bookmarked to make the gnocchi with asparagus, edamame, and parmesan. That's this seems like the perfect time of year. We're kind of transitioning from spring to summer when all of those the asparagus is going to be perfect. I made that. Oh, how was it? <laughs> it was good. It was really good. Um, I I liked the flavor of it a lot. I liked that the edamame was in there for like a protein hit. Uh-huh. So it was like sort of a complete meal. Um, and even though it was mixed together because it had pasta in it, my kids ate it. Nice. Yeah. And I like that you cook the po- you cook the gnocchi and then you basically fry it after yeah. it's done cooking. Yeah, exactly. So it's like soft in the middle and gets a little bit crispy on the edges. Yeah, it's I, nice. I think my kids are kind of on the fence about gnocchi. I love gnocchi, yeah. but I think crisping it at the end might be good. Gnocchi is already easy for a weeknight, mm-hmm. and then just like throwing some veggies in there mm-hmm. and a little bit of protein seems very very smart. Um, another recipe I really liked, which I think I actually made for Cookbook Club, was was the Waldorf-esque salad. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of interesting because I don't really think of – I don't generally make a lot of salads. I don't really prefer salads. But her, I think her salad section is very strong. It's pretty solid, yeah. It's very strong. Um, and the thing I liked about that, it's kale-based, again. But it has burrata, which you can't go wrong there. So good. Um, roasted grapes. Can't go wrong there. And then candied pecans. And so I learned that it's actually very easy to candy your own pecans. Oh. I thought I'd be doing that all the time now, and I haven't done it since. But um, <laughs> it's a really, I think, great way to use up, like, random little bits of egg white that you might have left over. And, oh. Um, and they turned out really good. They were so good. I yeah, remember it was just that. A real, that was a really nice uh, flavor combination. Yeah, the grapes, the roasted grapes. Like, I don't know that mm-hmm. I'd ever had a roasted grape before. It was just like, they're the kind grape. of like, just like pop with flavor. Mm-hmm. Would you make that on a weeknight or is that something you would save for when people are coming over? I try it on a weeknight, but I don't know that it would stand alone as a complete meal. And so it's a little involved if then you also have to make up more of a main dish or other companion pieces. Yeah. Um, but I think it'd be, a, it'd be a really lovely thing to bring over. When you're visiting someone's house, if you're in charge of some special salad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really special. For being so special, it uh, wasn't very hard or time consuming. That's great. Um, I made some soup. Um, so I made the turmeric chickpea soup with the charred Brussels sprouts. Mm-hmm. The soup was really, really good. It's a pureed soup with chickpeas in it and turmeric. So it's like a bright, bright yellow. And she calls for you to char these Brussels sprouts and like you kind of just like rest them on the top of the bowl of soup, which I thought sounded lovely. And then when we ate them, they were, they just tasted really burnt, which I mean, that's kind of the point, I guess. But it just like was not doing it for me. Yeah. And then that re- reminded me when that happened about how uh, there's also a carrot soup in here where it's like a charred carrot. Uh-huh. And Betsy from our cookbook club had made that recipe. And I think her feedback was the same, which is like, well, this is just a really burnt carrot now. Yeah. Um, so I feel like maybe those charred flavors like didn't really work for us. I could see that because it's almost like once something gets charred, it's kind of smoky. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so do you really want smokiness added to a chickpea turmeric soup? <laughs> right. Like I right. could see how maybe just like roasting the Brussels sprouts yeah. instead of yeah. charring them might be adding like texture and flavor without overpowering it sure. with the smoky. Well, and like I kind of get it with a carrot because it's like you'll get a lot of that like caramelization. But mm-hmm. with the Brussels sprout, like it's such a... My husband would say it's such a sulfury brassica <laughs> that like it's already bitter. You know, yeah. like I feel like you don't need to add that chard. Like it just takes it too far. OK. For me. Uh-huh. I'm sure other people would like it, but didn't do it for me. I like the concept of that soup, that it's a pureed chickpea soup, because then, you you know, you're just getting like a lot of protein. And yeah. for my kids anyways, they don't really know what go- I could tell them anything is in a pureed soup and they would eat it you know because yeah. they're not really going to know they're like, oh it's smooth and it tastes yeah. good and yeah. like, oh it has carrots in it or squash <laughs> like they don't care and um, right. 
That seems like a very as something that after you're done eating it, you'd feel really like comfortable and content. Yeah, it was tasty. The soup itself, I thought was really good. I have not made anything from the Great Bake section because those recipes just really don't speak to me. I spend more time in the salads, the soupy salads, in the Asian root section, and then the like sweet section, but I and and the pasta, but I really have just totally skipped over the bake section because I just am not moved by anything. It's in there. definitely heavier. I think the recipes in that section are heavier. Um, I have not also cooked from it. I know that Melissa Chan from Cookbook Club has cooked the tomato cobbler, uh-huh. which is something that's been on my list for a really long time. But every time I pull it out, I'm like, this is a lot of steps. It's a lot of steps. And like, yeah, I wouldn't want to make that just for my family. I would want to make that for like people right. who would be excited about eating right. a tomato cobbler, which is not my... What is a tomato day. cobbler? It has like a biscuit top, right? Yeah. So it's like a baked tomato thing with chive biscuit on top. Mm. And you start with fresh tomatoes or canned? Fresh tomatoes. Well, the thing for me about the great bakes, I guess, is just it's stuff maybe that doesn't work for our family anyways. Like it's macaroni and cheese and a Maltese ricotta pie, which all sounds interesting. And I would totally order at a restaurant or happily eat at somebody else's house. But those are things that wouldn't work for everybody at our table. She does have a polenta with baked tomato mushrooms that looks really delicious. And simple. And simple. But I kind of have my polenta game down. Mm -hmm. And I don't really know if it's like worth making the recipe for that. Yeah. I think that Brussels sprouts gratin looks good. But again, it's heavier. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is a cookbook that I come to for that like fresh vegetable heavy thing. Yeah. Um, and so I, maybe that's why the bakes don't speak to us as much is because it's it's much heavier. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's like creamier, denser. Or just in general, I feel like especially if, if something's like really in season, like a zucchini or even a tomato, like they're just so good. Yeah. Anyway, like you don't need to douse it in a bunch of heavy right. cream or fat or um, yeah. put it in the oven for a long time and add a lot of other flavors. I tend to really like more simple preparations yeah. of vegetables, especially if they're in season. That's a great point. What about the dessert? Oh, I have some thoughts about the dessert. <laughs> I made the orange and rosemary olive oil cake, but there's a lot of asterisks all over this recipe for me because I didn't have oranges. And she's like, you can use lemons, but I didn't have lemons. So I had some old limes sitting around. So I used the limes and it was a great use for those. I think the limes work totally well. The cake has tons of olive oil, tons of Greek yogurt. It does come out tasting a little bit savory. That's not as novel for me. I wouldn't make it just because of that. But the cake was very moist. I'm sorry for those listeners who hate (laughs) that word, but I have to use it because it's true. The rosemary was super overpowering. It calls for two tablespoons of chopped rosemary. Too much rosemary. Way too much rosemary. Because it's like all you taste. Yeah, yeah. I love the combination of citrus with rosemary. There's other recipes I've made like that that I love. But this, use half of the rosemary. Yeah. And even then, I'm not really sure that I want to eat rosemary in a cake, which is weird because yeah. I like it in other desserts. Yeah. But I think I would have rather had like thyme or yeah. maybe like lavender. Something or else for that like herby. Yeah, that just felt a little bit lighter and not so like sharply um, I almost think that rosemary has kind of a, sort of like a sharp piney flavor, which mm-hmm. is cool, but I felt like it didn't really match the cake. Did this feel like a good like base recipe where you could play around with diff- the different levels of flavors or combinations? It is a good base recipe, but there are already other like great base recipes that already have the those kind of ratios and combinations figured out. I was like, well, maybe instead of 
the orange, you could use lemon. And maybe instead of the rosemary, you could actually just try to do like Douglas fir, like pine needles as an experiment and like see how that goes. And oh, maybe it would be interesting to like drop in some like huckleberries and make it this whole like Pacific Northwest themed cake. And then I was like, this is a completely different recipe than what this poor (laughs) woman wrote. Like, I think I would just, uh, I would make it again, maybe for like a brunch on a Sunday sort of thing Mm -hmm. and just not put the rosemary in which i think she even says in the recipe like if that's too much don't put it in but yeah. it's like well that's just a that's just a lemon cake then right. at that point yeah or maybe you could cut it down to like a third of it or something mm-hmm. i do think with thyme it might be interesting because thyme you know would still kind of lean into the savoriness with yeah. the yogurt um without it being so sharply overpowering yeah that makes but sense i want to talk about the pie that you made okay yeah it's the lime pie with the anzac biscuit crust and what is an anzac biscuit apparently it's an australian cookie but when i first flipped past the recipe i thought oh i really want to make that and i didn't read the recipe i just read the headline and i was like oh great i'm gonna have to source some like australian cookie somewhere to make this crust because i thought it was just like Get some Anzac biscuits and make a, you know, that was the assumption that I made. Mm -hmm. But no, it's not. You just make it. It's like a really easy like press in crust. So you mix together like some flour, butter, um, oats, coconut. You melt the butter and then you like add some baking soda and maple syrup to the butter as it's cooking. And then it like foams up. This is for the filling or to make the the crust? crust. Oh, And then you add that into the like flour, oats mixture and you just press it into the pie plate. Well, whatever you did and however much time it took, I think it was totally worth it. It's really good. It's really, really good. The crust was like sort of chunkier than I expected it to be. But once I kind of like figured that out, I think it's really delicious. Yeah. But, you know, my husband made a good point while we were eating it last night, which is what's the alternative? It's a key lime pie, basically. So the alternative is it's a graham cracker crust. Like, yeah, boring. Totally compared mm-hmm. to this crust. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I like that the texture of the key lime is so smooth, that like custardy filling. Yeah. That I now I don't know if I can go back to just eating a regular graham cracker crust. <laughs> yeah. Because having so much texture with it the really coconut elevates oats, it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really good. And then the filling was very easy to make. It's just a can of sweetened condensed milk, four egg yolks, and the limes, like the juice and the zest. Wow. That's all. No salt? There might have been a little bit of salt. But yeah, you just like whisked it by hand, threw it in, baked right. it for 10 minutes. And so what, what are the characteristics that make it an Anzac biscuit? I think it's just like that's what these Anzac biscuits are. Like it's a like Australian that, cookie. So like those are the flavors with the, like the oat, coconut. the oat coconut thing. Oh, yeah. Huh. And she even says like if you have extra, like if you have too much for your pie pan, just like take it out and form it into a cookie and bake mm. it. And it was not hard to make at all. That's a winner of a recipe. Yeah. I think that's the best recipe that I've tasted from this whole okay. cookbook is that pie. Yeah. Um, I also made the any fruit crumble. It was fine. <laughs> <laughs> what I, is the what is special about the any fruit crumble? Well, I think what's special about it is its flexibility because she's like, just use any fruit. And here's the, you know, sort of crumble mixture. But I just thought, I think it didn't hold up really well shape-wise when mm-hmm. I made it. I made it for the cookbook club event. And yeah, it was just sort of fine. I feel like there's so many other like crisps and crumbles out there that are just like really fantastic that this one was just not like amazing. Okay. So who do you guys think this book is a good fit for? I think maybe someone who wants to eat more vegetables and like is looking for unique ways to prepare them. I don't know the answer to this, but I'd be curious how this fits into vegetarian cookbooks generally and like is this filling a hole within vegetarian specific cookbooks i think it's a great cookbook for 
someone who's maybe wanting to be a little more adventurous with their everyday cooking or or weekend cooking that are still very vegetable vegetable centric. I feel like someone who's probably a moderate cook, at least. I don't think this is a great one for like a super newbie. No, it's not a beginner cookbook for sure. I say that because in the recipes that I've made, there have been kind of like, I filled in the gaps a little bit with my cooking intuition. Like, oh, I think this needs a a little bit more time than she said in the recipe. Or this recipe didn't say for this step how long it does take for something. Like even making the cake you know, you whisk the the eggs with the sugar mixture with like the citrus peel and stuff. And she's like, just whisk it until it's like light and thick. But like a new cook doesn't really know what that means. Right. I know that means like 30 seconds to a minute. Mm -hmm. But I mean, imagine if you're just like sitting there whisking for like four minutes, because (laughs) you're like, I don't know, is it light enough and fluffy and thick enough? Right. Um, So I think some of that little detail is missing, which is fine. But uh, I think a moderate cook, yeah, who's maybe looking for new spins on things like a green bean casserole, or wants to just Mm -hmm. try different flavor combinations that aren't necessarily tied also to one like cuisine type, you Mm -hmm. know, this Mm -hmm. is pulling in like Indian flavors and Cantonese flavors and like kind of traditional whatever Australian Mm -hmm. flavors with like the Anzac biscuit thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, is this a cookbook that's earned a spot on your guys's cookbook shelf? No. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I do love that deconstructed falafel salad. I've loved a few of the other recipes, um, and I'm happy to know about them. I also keep an eye out for her in the New York Times app, which I subscribe to. But overall, it's not enough of a workhorse for me to really need it on my shelf. Uh, it's a yes for me. I think the combination of the number of like vegetable combinations that I'd like to try and the fact that it's so beautiful I mean it's going to stick around on my shelf. I mean, before I ate that lime pie, I would have been more towards the no end of the spectrum. But after having that, I feel like I'm leaning more towards yes. I'm basically in the middle. I think that this book deserves more time on my bookshelf before I make a call on it. Some of the recipes I've cooked have been fine, but not amazing. And some of the recipes have been really great and probably would make it into a regular rotation. But I need more time, I think, to make some of those well, thanks, Kirsten, so much for joining us. It Anytime. was really great to so have you. So fun to have you. We wanted to send a special shout out to D Horses, who left us a review recently on our podcast. And thank you so much for taking the time to do that. It means a lot to us when we get a sweet review like that. It really does. And we hope that you'll join us next time when we will be cooking from Zahav by Michael Solomonov. Sarah, why did we choose this book? We're really excited about it. It has all these like great Israeli flavors. It plays really well to like summertime peak produce. And it's a restaurant cookbook. So it's going to be really interesting to see sort of how those recipes shake out for us. Mm-hmm. We hope you'll cook along with us between now and then. Just tag us on Instagram at Cookbook Club Show or send us a voice memo or a comment at cookbookclubshow at gmail.com. You can find us online at cookbookclub.show. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss the next one. And leaving us a review really helps other home cooks find us too. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye.